Oh, Father, we're asking just for grace. God, we don't just want information. We want you to touch our hearts with the Holy Spirit. We want you to make it real to us. I pray for all of us, myself, first and foremost, oh God, that as we're, we're going through some of the scriptures today, God, that you would show us how we can make it real in our own lives. We thank you for your great mercy, O oh God, towards us. And we pray, God, that you'd give us grace today, that the fruits of today would be that we would walk worthy of your kingdom and glory uh, on the terms that you've defined as worthy of your kingdom and glory. So, Father, we bless your holy name. We invite you to come and we ask you, God, to touch our hearts and confirm your message today through all the speakers, through all the conversations that take place in different times, God, throughout this conference, God, that you would confirm your message with power through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Let's see if we can get the engine revved up a little bit here. And we've got a lot of really uh, important things to be talking about today. We want to look at the implications of a lot of the things we talked about yesterday. One hope... Oh, sorry. Is that, was that me? Okay. One hope, our master's appearing. Letter A. Yesterday we looked at the nature of our blessed hope. We saw that our hope as believers is not the soul's escape from the body at death. I'll fly away to a land by and by that has nothing to do with our, the, the earth that God created as good and which is on his heart to redeem. But rather, our hope is the resurrection of the flesh at the second coming. Thomas, touch my hands, touch my feet, touch my side. You know, a ghost does not have flesh and bones that Jesus came up from the grave himself on the third day with an actual body. And they recognized that body as him. Um, the meek will inherit the earth or the land at the second coming. Our inheritance is not an ethereal heavenly realm that the, soul's inter the soul enters at death. We're not putting our faith in the fact that we're going to die. We're, going to be put we're putting our faith in the fact that death will be overcome in our bodies through the power of our Messiah at the second coming. But our, our inheritance is the earth, which we'll receive at the second coming. Our hope is not in the annihilation of God's good creation, but rather in the restoration of all things, the restoration of the skies, the restoration of the land, the restoration of animals, the restoration of our bodies, the restoration of relationships through God's appointed Messiah. And the kingdom of God is a real kingdom to be established on the earth in real time and real space when the Messiah returns. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There's one body, one spirit, just as call, you were called to one hope when you were called. Most of us were hopeless swimming in our depravity, walking around in darkness. He called us out of that darkness and gave us one hope, and that's his coming kingdom and, all, and the second coming and all of that entails and the implications for us as believers. Letter B. A clear understanding of the prize motivates us to run the race that God calls us to in this age. One of my favorite passages is Philippians 3. You know, we know this passage that you know, I was the, the Pharisee of Pharisees, born on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. He had all of these things that, within his culture, were things that were things that made him pretty special, right? But he says, now that I've encountered Jesus my Lord, uh, I count all of these other things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, 
And that looks like shipwrecks. It looks like how many times did he receive the, the 40 minus 1? You know, it looks like dangers from bandits, dangers from thieves, my burden for all the churches. You know, we, we're the, the scum of the earth. And that's what it looks like, suffering the loss of all things. And he counts them as rubbish. They don't mean anything to him anymore. The academic achievements, the big, the big job that you had, the, the money, the reputation, the status, it doesn't mean anything anymore compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. We suffer the loss of all things that we may gain Christ. Be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own. Any fruit that God produces, it's not because of our own righteousness. It's because of His own faithfulness, His own righteousness, His own work on the cross and in the Holy Spirit and in the second coming. These things are by the power of God and His faithfulness to the covenants. We don't have our own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith. It's not produced by human effort. It's not produced out of our own ingenuity. It's something we didn't come up with. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, be conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And so he presses on toward the goal, the prize, the upward call of God, the high call of God in Christ Jesus. And so... This is the prize. We're running until that day. And what does it look like? It looks like the fellowship of sufferings out of a deep awareness. We, we share in the sufferings of Christ in our own flesh because of what he did for us on the cross and are out of an awareness that I can't even produce the kind of life that would carry that kind of cross and bear those kinds of sufferings, but because... You're staring at the undeserved mercy you received on the cross. You're saying, you know what? I'm sticking with this guy, <laughs> no matter what I go through. And through that whole process, the wisdom of God is put on display before the powers of the air that are accusing us and telling us, you don't deserve eternal life. And you're like, I know I don't deserve eternal life, but it's never been about me anyway. It's about the God who sits enthroned on high, who, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. And so... Because he's shown me mercy, I'm not going to give honor to idols and demons anymore. See how this works. I mean, the powers are disarmed by the cross in this way. So our, you know, how many of you have ever looked through blurry binoculars, right? You, put, you grab the binoculars and you haven't had any time to focus them. You put them on and you can see something. And sometimes when you first put them up to your eyes, you can make out some kind of image. Like, I think that's a tree. Or... I think that's maybe a mountain or something. And you, you get, a, you get a, an idea of what you might be seeing, but then you've got to start bringing it into focus to get a clear picture. And once you get the clear picture in focus, you know what's happening in your environment. And that's basically what we were doing, really trying to do yesterday, is let's bring the gospel into focus. Because a lot of us, we've, we have ideas. switch over here. Um, sorry, just one second. All right, is that better? Okay. So how much, I, I trust that those who are listening on the webcast maybe heard a little bit. It's a 
Okay, good deal. Okay. Okay. So just talking about the binoculars, that our main point yesterday was to get the binoculars in, more, in greater focus so that we can know what is happening around us, especially at the end of the age. So that, you know, understanding matters. That's something that's been going around in my mind lately. Understanding matters. If, you, if you're a parent and you impart understanding to your children, they're going to have a greater idea of why you're disciplining them. You know, and they'll see the wisdom of it a lot more if you're just, you know, you're disciplining them with absolutely no explanation for why you're doing it. And I think Daniel 10, Daniel prays, Lord, give me understanding. And three weeks later, he gets, an, an, a, the, the messenger appears to him and gives him clarity and revelation and understanding about what he was praying about. But it says that there was resistance even from the powers of the air. And they were resisting understanding being given to Daniel. And so we need to realize that understanding is important. A clear understanding of the gospel is important for getting the binoculars in focus so that we can see into the distance what's coming, so that we can see the prize clearly, so that as we're going from here to there, we have a greater clarity about what our calling is supposed to look like as believers in this age. Okay? So James 1.12, blesses the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. That there is a crown of life in the day of the Lord. We're going to receive the crown of life in the resurrection. We're going to receive positions of authority in the age to come. And when we have a clear view of that prize, it gives us grace to persevere under trial. And when we've stood the test, you know, Job... It's easy to love God through the easy times. But what are, where are our hearts going to be through the difficult times? And that's, there's something that God can see. There's something that can be proven both you know, on, that, on that drama, something that a point he's making to the enemy. You know, Job, that Satan, Job only loves you because you do this good stuff for him. And God's like, okay, well, let's see how this all works. And then you have this whole drama unfold, and Job's, confidence in the, end, in the midst of all of that stuff was, in the end, in my flesh, my Messiah will stand upon the earth and I will see him face to face. You get a glimpse into the thing that was motivating Job in his heart to persevere through all of those things. The coming storm, number two here. Jesus says that in the last days it will be as it was in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. And so, in our days, you know, people are going to still be doing life as usual. And are we going to be living a life of the cross that feels strange and odd to those around us? You know, I kind of, I'm in so many situations where I know, man, I'm a walking freak show right now. <laughs> and I feel that pressure like, you live, you know. So you've got four kids. And for some people, like, four kids. Four kids. And I like my kids a lot, you know. It definitely provides a context where I'm repenting a lot of times for 
issues and things coming up in my heart and praying that they don't get too jacked up, but keeping a list so that when they get older, they go for inner healing, I can say, here's your issues, you know, just let's do, you know. And, and so, or, you know, whatever level, whether, you know, there's 20 levels where I feel like a freak most of the time, but then the Lord's like, well, you start reading the Bible again, and you realize, well, okay, Paul kind of fits that category, and Joseph, and David, and all right, so you're in good company, We're go, we'll continue being a freak show, you know, <laughs> but it's a good thing. To some, it's the fragrance of life, even though to others it might be the smell of death. Do you see what I'm saying? All right. DC Talk. What would people think if they knew you're a Jesus freak? Okay. Anyway. Letter B. A storm is on the horizon. To deny this is to become like the false prophets of old. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, you, you realize there were two categories of false prophets in Israel. Earlier in Jeremiah 23, the Lord rebukes the false prophets of, in the north. And they, their, their crime, in the Lord's eyes, was they were prophesying by Baal. They were prophesying by a false god. But then, he moves to a different category of false prophets within the land of Judah. Their problem wasn't they were prophesying by Baal. They were prophesying in the name of the Lord, but they were pro prophesying a false message out of agreement with his character. And the fruit of that was they were encouraging people in a lifestyle of wickedness and not to return to the Lord in repentance and faith. And so here, this is what the Lord Almighty says, Don't listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says, so who, they're prophesying in the Lord's name, the Lord says, says you will have peace. They're ignoring the Lord. They're living lives that the Lord is not pleased with. They're disregarding His laws. And yet, these prophets are saying, you're going to have peace. God's not going to do anything about it. He's not going to discipline you as a nation. He's just going to turn a blind eye. Everything's going to be good. And they're also saying, and to all who follow stub the stubbornness of their own hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. As if God just turns a blind eye to wickedness and iniquity and injustice, right? See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. In days to come, you'll understand it clearly. I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I do not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. And so, the Lord doesn't necessarily send the storm right away. He restrains. He's like, I'm going to send a storm. And he's giving people time to repent in a time of mercy. But he says to deny that a storm is coming. It's going to lead to dullness and complacency if people don't actually take the day of judgment seriously. You see what I'm saying? And this is where we want to be voices that even though it's not popular, we're willing to say, oh, sorry, this is the day that the Lord has made. Everybody, you might want to turn your... This. That's my daughter singing, this is the day that the Lord has made. So good timing. We'll, uh, and I'm, but I am going to turn my phone off now, so... So we want to be those that are willing to embrace the stigma of foolishness and say, a storm is coming, let's get our houses in order. So that when Sodom and Gomorrah, remember the days of Lot, Abraham's pleading for mercy on that city, and he's bringing the number of down. Lord, if this, there's this many righteous, if there's this many righteous, and he gets it down to, how, what was the final number? 
Ten. If, Lord, if there's ten righteous people in the city, have mercy on it. Turns out there wasn't ten, but God says if there are, I'll spare it. Well, he goes, he looks at the city, and all the stuff that they try to do to the angels, you know, even to angels, and so the angels say, get out of the city lot, and they pull the righteous man out of the city just in time before the fire and burning sulfur comes on the city, right? Well, that's an, as it was in the days of Lot, we want to be like Lot, and it says, uh, I believe it's First uh, Peter, First Peter or Second Peter, that it says that Lot... He was tormented in his righteous soul because of the lawless deeds happening around him. We want to have that spiritual sensitivity rekindled in our hearts over and over again so that we don't ever become calloused and dull to, to sin around us. And that's part of building an ark because we believe a storm of the Lord is coming, but I want to, be on, you know, I, I want to, I want to know that in the midst of that storm that's coming, that uh, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, and the Lord's making distinctions, and we'll, we'll find out in that day what was what by a lot of the things that are going to be happening. What kind of people, therefore, ought you to be, is what Peter says in Second Peter 3. Letter C. When the trials of the last days arrive, it will quickly become apparent what kind of foundation our lives had been built on up to the point of those tests. We will realize whether we had been living our lives as wise virgins, anchored in the way of the cross, or as foolish virgins. 1 Corinthians 3, By the grace God has given me, I have, become, I have laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. And you can feel the weightiness of this. Be careful. Our employer cares about the people you're working for or the people you're serving. And we're going to be called to account. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If it, and the fact that he's putting Jesus Christ, when he puts the little word Jesus in front of Messiah, he's thinking about that crucified man, Jesus of Nazareth, okay? Jesus, because what, Jesus was that guy who was crucified, and he's the Messiah, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, when you put fire to gold or silver or costly stones, what does it do to them? It purifies them, right? What, do you do, what happens with, when you put fire to wood, hay, or straw? It burns up. So he's saying, build in such a way that when the fire comes, it ends up having a refining effect, effect on the people of God, but they don't give up versus they're totally consumed in the flames. Okay? I mean, if you're constantly telling people that we're not going to experience trouble in this age and then the trouble comes versus like Paul and Barnabas tell the churches on their way back after their first missionary journey, it is through many trials and tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. And then the trials and tribulations come Oh, we were warned about this, and they persevere through it, and they come out more refined, and they don't give up on the faith, versus everything's great. Jesus died and suffered so that you don't ever have to suffer. And then the suffering comes. Wait a minute. This thing must not be working right. I, I'm out of here. See what I'm saying? So when the fire comes, verse 13, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. 
If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. I mean, I, he's talking about building a foundation in human beings, in lives, in people that image bearers that God cares about. And my goodness, I mean, it, with a real healthy fear and trembling, I, when, whenever God entrusts a human being to my influence or care, whether it's through teaching, whether it's through a relationship or whatever, I, when I'm standing before my maker and before the king of glory on that day, I want to, have, I want to hear him say, whatever I, little thing I had you deposit at that time, in the long sum total of things, when the actual time of testing came, it contributed to them persevering under fire. And they weren't burned up for it. And so that's one of the things that at DTN we're asking the Lord to grace, for grace to help us do this in a way that, 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 that he'll consider faithful stewardship and faithful management. And I know that that's his heart for the, the body of Christ as well, especially in these days. So the important question, what counts as a quality foundation in God's sight? What does he see as building blocks of silver and gold? And the answer is that which accords with the knowledge of God as revealed on the cross. God is going, God is going to endure forever. And if he's going to let people into a kingdom that's going to endure forever, those people need to be like him. Okay? And if our lives are built on anything incongruent with the knowledge of God as revealed in Christ crucified, it is chaff that will be burned up in the fire. The real issue is what God is like, what he is not like. Anything in our lives that is in agreement with who God is and what he is like will stand. Anything out of sync with God and his character will not stand. 1 Peter 1, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, written Be holy, because I am holy. God is different and behaves differently and relates to people differently than the idols and the imposters, the false gods who want worship. Okay? And so he wants us, ourselves, if we're going to claim relationship with him, to be different and set apart from those who worship those false gods and start to take on their image. See what I'm saying? We put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Okay, same idea here in, in Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 1, that we're being renewed in the spirit of our minds, verse 24, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 1, 16 through 17, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering in my prayers that our, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And so th really we're... we're we're asking God for a clear understanding of what he's like, the knowledge of God. Because like John was saying yesterday, your understanding of who God is is going to affect the way you relate to him and to others. And so the, the enemy, a lot of times, he tries to put a lot of effort into making the binoculars fuzzy so that we will start living our lives according to a fuzzy image of God. Well, if you have a fuzzy image of God, then you're going to have a fuzzy mode of discipleship, Right? So that's what we're asking for is we want to have clarity on the gospel so that, so that we are relating to God in the way that he himself has revealed himself as the way he's relating to human beings in this age and in the age to come. God is just, God is merciful, and the, you know, he's going to establish perfect justice on the earth. If he were to give us perfect justice now, justice for us means eternal punishment because of the magnitude of our crimes 
You know, even the slightest little, you know, the little slip of the tongue where you end up shooting some poison into somebody with some, a word you might say, it, it impacts them in a way where possibly the next time they talk to somebody, the poison goes on to them and on and on and on. And you can, mag whether you're talking speech, attitudes, whatever, um, it's a serious thing because God loves this creation. And, and even those little things jack it up on an infinite level. Letter E. <clears throat> the cross and the revelation of God contained therein is the only compass that will see us through the days ahead. Messiah crucified is the only solid foundation. I love praying for God to heal and believing for Him to do the impossible and to move mountains. I love the stories of when God moves it on somebody's heart to adopt children and the, compassionate of God, the compassion of God demonstrated in that act of love and kindness and all of these other things. These things flow out of the revelation of who God is in the cross. Okay? They're, they're an overflow of the thing God did on the cross. And so the cross is the foundation. And these are the fruits of the cross as we imitate our Messiah. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord. For I resolved, I determined, I judged, I decided to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I mean, Paul goes into these places and the cross is being re-embodied and re-displayed and put on visual display over and over and over again, made real to the people through his own sufferings being, uh, being displayed, the sufferings of the Messiah being made real to them through his own sufferings. And he says, I resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified, and even greater than the miracles of healing that he saw and all that, the cool stuff, was the fact that how does this man, who is going through this all the time, still get back up? See what I'm saying? How in the world can anybody do that? Only by the power of God. Only by the power of God. So that's what, when you get to 1 Timothy 1, join with me in suffering by the power of God. Okay? And then in the midst of his sufferings, God sustaining him by his power, he releases signs and wonders, a healing that points to the coming of the hope when God will heal our bodies permanently in the resurrection. Verse uh, number three the cross reveals that God is merciful. Therefore, be merciful. Letter A Jesus took our sin upon himself and then in our place received the punishment that we deserved. We ourselves deserved crucifixion. But God didn't give it to us. Instead, he put the punishment on himself, the, on himself, on his son. The cross reveals that God is merciful. Isaiah 53. Surely took up our sin, our iniquity, took up our infirmities, carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we are healed. We were like sheep going astray. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That it was our curse that he bore. It was our, we were the ones, every time, you know, every time I've ever spoken a disheartening word to my children that I shouldn't have said because I was functioning out of my brokenness and, and dysfunctionality from whatever issues I have, or every time I've, 
I've murdered somebody with my words, or every time I've had, the th- had, a, had a thought that the Lord had to rebuke for on, on whatever level, every time I exalt myself in pride or start to boast in this or boast in that, what I deserve is for the King of Glory to take my hands and nail them to that cross eternally, over and over and over again. And yet, instead of giving it to me, he took it upon himself and saying, this is who I am. You deserve this, but I value you enough to where I'm willing to give the most precious thing to me in your place. And so God puts the, the mercy of God on display on that cross. Letter B, because God is merciful, becoming holy as he is holy means becoming merciful and gracious towards others just as he is. The fruit of a merciful disposition towards others is something only the Holy Spirit can produce in us. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful, for with the measure you use it will be measured to you. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you don't forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And this is why we were hammering so much on this kingdom issue, the timing of the kingdom, what's involved in it, because as we looked at yesterday, the establishment of the Messianic kingdom at the end of the age, by definition, according to the scriptures, is the time when the wicked are punished. And if you start getting fuzzy on issues of the kingdom, then it can t- you can start to get your vision blurry about God's mercy and heart to the wicked, towards the wicked in this age, of whom all of us are included in that category. I remember when we were in Kenya this most recent time, when we first got there, I kept seeing the city of Mombasa. It kept coming up over and over again. I kept asking the Lord, Lord, do you want me to go to, the, to Mombasa for something? And <clears throat> nothing, was hap- nothing came of it until finally about towards the end before we left, I was on the bus one day and I just had this thought go through my mind, I want you to go to Mombasa this weekend. <laughs> So I went home, and Emily and I talked about it, and we prayed, had peace about it. So I got on a bus and just went to Mombasa, not having any idea who I was, where I was going to stay, who I was going to meet, feeling, you know, didn't get any sleep on the bus that night, had some good conversations with some guys on the bus. But we got there, and as I was just walking down the street, um, I, there was a particular hotel that was highlighted to me. And I thought, okay, I'm going to stay there. It turned out they gave me a good deal, and... And I was praying, and I walked one, that evening. I walked out of the hotel, and ended up meeting this one guy, and uh, and I'm just going to call him. I'll call him Andrew. And Andrew, <clears throat> basically, his here's a story. His story was he'd grown up in the church, and then he strayed, and in the midst of that, contracted AIDS. And he'd kept it a secret. And, I mean, just to, to talk to him, I mean, he just, the look, I mean, he just kept saying, you know, I don't know why God's doing this to me. You know, I, it's, it's more than I can bear, you know. And he realized my, my sin was so great that I'm beyond God's mercy, right? And this was the, th- I mean, could you imagine? I mean, his, his, as soon as he goes and gets the test, it's a death sentence, as far as he knows, at some point, we don't know exactly how long it's going to be. But So he's carrying this death sentence in his heart, trying his best to hide it from his friends. And, and so we talked about, you know, I, you know, I basically told him, you know, man, I'm the most depraved, I'm talking about myself, I'm the most depraved human being on the earth. 
God has shown me depths of darkness in my own heart. That I know he'll have mercy on me. He'll have mercy on you. And, and then I'd explain to him the hope of the resurrection because I couldn't guarantee that he'd be healed, but I was going to cry out for it nonetheless and just to give him hope. And we ended up praying together and asking God to heal him. And then I got back on a bus and went home. <laughs> and, it, you know, I didn't necessarily, we, nothing, mass, there wasn't a massive movement, a church planting movement didn't break out or anything. It was just one, this one sheep that was wandering the hills that used to be a part of the flock that thought he was beyond the, the reach of God's mercy at this point. And I got a call from a, a couple days later that he'd been healed. He went back and got tested. And the Lord had mercy on him and healed him. Yeah, praise the Lord for that, right? I mean, and... And so, anyway, the tender mercies of our God and the cross reveals that there's no sinner beyond the reach of his great mercy. And he wants us to relate to people in that same way and in the same way that he is restraining from the day of wrath and giving people a window of mercy. If we re recognize how much we ourselves have received mercy, then we're going to relate to people on that basis. They say something and it's, you know, kind of that little backdoor criticism or little accusation here and... You know, I was, I was with, we were with some people recently, and she was outwardly saying things in a really nice tone of voice, but there were all these little kind of <laughs> things coming at you, like, what are you doing, who, you know, kind of thing, and you're like, well, I've done that so many times myself, Lord, have mercy on her, just like you've had mercy on me, and I don't have to be understood, <laughs> you know, and so, it's just the, the tenderness of the Lord that that produces in us when we're confronted with his mercy. And the cross just exalts exalt that in a way that we can't even fathom. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty and punish. And so his name is embodied in its full expression. We see his name as revealed here in Exodus 34, put on display in an unparalleled way when Christ goes to the cross on our behalf in our place. Self-righteousness. The cross reveals clearly that self-righteousness is an abomination to God. Therefore you are without excuse, O man, every man who is casting judgment. For in whatever matter you are judging the other man, it is yourself you are condemning. Because you, the one who is passing judgment, are practicing the same things. Now, we recognize that the judgment of God upon those who are practicing, practicing such things is according to truth. We know that in the day of the Lord, we're all going to stand before Jesus, and he's going to audit us, okay? He's going to give us a really intense audit. We're going to be audited by Jesus, and he knows where the figures need to be and in what categories and all that kind of thing. But when you, when you're in the category of the one who needs mercy, start judging people as if you don't need mercy anymore, and you, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Then, watch out, watch out. But do you figure this, O oh man? Are you, is this what you're calculating? Is this how you're putting all the pieces together? The man who keeps on judging those doing such things, even while doing the same things, <laughs> that you yourself will escape the judgment of God? Or do you look down, do you snub your nose upon the riches of his kindness, restraint, and long-suffering while failing to understand that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. If God had not restrained from giving you the full weight of his wrath that you deserve, there would be no hope for any of us. And so are you going 
to show contempt when he's showing it to others and restraining towards others as well. And for, to make this real so he can fill the offense of the cross in this. How many of you know of, of Jeffrey Dahmer? That guy did some pretty crazy things, right? I mean, absolutely abominable things. You're watching this video. He's giving a testimony. In prison, he comes to know the Lord. And he accepts the gospel. A man who had killed and done heinous things. They're doing an interview, and they said, what led you to do these things? And he says, well, I was just carrying Darwinism and evolutionism out to its logical extreme. If I'm nothing but that original soup, the original, whatever they call it, I can't remember the technical name of it, I was this little, and I, this goop, and I just kind of randomly came to be, and it's just the survival of the fittest, and I'm just going to, when I die, that's it, nothing ever, is, I'm not going to be held accountable for anything, so why not just do whatever I want? <laughs> You know, why not just completely live for myself and fulfill every lustful craving I have, whatever? And he said, I was just, I was just carrying out what evolution says to do. Nobody else is bold enough to actually live their life according to what they say they believe. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? He didn't actually say that, but that's what was happening. But then he realized in, that I'm going to give an account to my maker. And I repent. He, you know, he repented. And on the mercy of the cross... He has faith that God would forgive even a man like him. Now, here's the offense of the cross. Let's say one of his victims never, ever took the time to consider God. They were a suburban, living out in the suburbia. They grew up wealthy and rich, hoarded their things all their lives, never took the time to think they needed God, never took the time to acknowledge their sin. And in the midst of it, they die at the hands of this man. And in the end, Jeffrey Dahmer will be vindicated. Is that offensive? That's offensive. But let's put it in perspective. Now, let's take it to you're a father and you've got five children. Right? I, love, I have four girls and I love them more than you can ever know, even despite the fact that I'm jacking them up a lot. I do love them. Okay? Trying to, trying to get better at not passing on all of my brokenness to them at the same time, okay? And so I love them with all my heart. And if I have one of them who starts, you know, beating the other one, or if you're a father and you have somebody in your house and they, they end up robbing from one or even killing one of their brothers... How are you going to feel about that situation, looking at it from the perspective of a father? See what I'm saying? My God, I'm grieving that that happened to my other child because I love them both. Oh, but I don't want to give up on you either. My other son, my other daughter. There's an effect. And, and so the Lord says, okay, we're going to deal with this. I'm going to provide an atonement so that one ends up getting vindicated in my day and the other one still has a chance for mercy so that they too can be a part of that day. Do you see how this works? You can kind of, it's hard, our minds are so unrenewed and our hearts can be so hard. But when you start putting it in those terms, it can, it can help understand what's really happening in the Father's heart. Number four, the cross reveals that God is just and hates sin. Therefore, live justly and hate sin. 
When Jesus was crucified, God was showing the world how much he truly hates sin. Sin deserves to be flogged, whipped, spit upon, crucified eternally. God hates greed. He hates immorality. He hates murder, adultery, deceit, envy, every other unclean thing that defiles and destroys the creation he loves. Sin destroys our families, our children, our societies, and through sin we destroy ourselves. In the day of the Lord, God is going to pour out his wrath on the earth because of the wickedness of the human heart. You know, it's wickedness that is, going, that is corrupting the earth, and so in the day of the Lord, it's wickedness that he's going to address to purge it and cleanse it so that his creation be, can be restored to its original glory. Colossians 3, 5 through 6. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Ephesians 5, 5 through 7. For this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And just in case Paul, Paul's kind of recognizing there are going to be people that are going to kind of minimize this truth <laughs> through some doctrine or maybe, maybe twisting the doctrine of grace somehow so that you know, we get a free ride irrespective of how we, how we actually respond to the gospel, whatever it might be. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. Oh, you know what? You can look as long as you don't do. You ever heard that? You know, you can, you, you know, you can indulge your eyes just as long as you don't act out on it. I mean, that was, I mean, in, even in youth groups, you know, whatever. But don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. This is important to God. Because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Do not be partners with those who are going to be on the wrong side of the Sodom and Gomorrah situation at the end of the age. Letter B. <clears throat> Therefore, until Jesus comes back, we must let the Holy Spirit wash us of the things God hates and which will have no place in the age to come. We must let him shape us into people who treat others the way that God treats others. And so I'll let you read these these. Uh, verses on your own. I'll just read the Micah 6, 8 one. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Number five, the cross reveals that God is self-sacrificial. Therefore, lay down your lives. Lay down your lives. If you are, even if you're a slave, and you've got either a, a cruel master, or even a believing master, if you have a cruel master, what kind of witness is it going to be? If he's treating you harshly, and yet you treat him as if he is Jesus the Messiah himself. Because in light of that day, both the master and the slave are God's children. And God wants both of them to be saved. And what an honor for you that even though the world despises you as nothing but a menial slave who takes out the trash and cleans up after people, who gets kicked now and then if you have a harsh master, on that day, if you, instead of responding in, in a, let's mobilize the masses and overturn this oppression. <laughs> no, it's, I deserve the lake of fire. I deserve far more than this beating I'm getting from this guy. <laughs> I'm going, for the sake of the cross, he hits me and I bless him. He abuses me, and I serve him all the more. And the master's like, what is happening to this man? This slave has something different going on in him 
that even though in the eyes of all of those around us, he is in the, the, the lower position, in reality, something is happening that I don't, that, that's not happening in me. And, and masters get provoked and repent. And now you get another passage that talks about slaves and masters in the New Testament, where he says, and if they're a brother, serve them all the more because they're a brother. And so he actually repents and comes to the faith, and now it's like, oh, now you're my brother in Christ, and he brings you five extra cups of coffee a day. See what I'm saying? And he cleans the floors extra nice. And the cross and the fragrance of the cross is being put on display. And both, and the master now has to treat his servant with respect because both of them are redefining their lives around the cross in the hope of an eternal inheritance. This is an example of how the cross plays itself out in practical relationships if the cross is the vision you're going for and the cross becomes the vision you're going for if you get the kingdom in its proper perspective. Does this make sense? What we're going for. So lay down our lives. While God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I lay it down of my own accord. Therefore we lay down our lives for the good and well-being of others. And to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men, you will know you are my disciples if you love one another. If we are going to be known as disciples of a crucified Messiah, then we have got to show a crucified quality of love towards others, self-sacrifice for the well-being of others. And all of us are asking God for grace. And this doesn't come naturally to us. That's why prayer is so vital. God, I just think, you know, Lord, God, help me to just keep my mouth shut sometimes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, Lord, get this little rudder under control. And you're crying out for it and crying out for it and crying out for it. And then over, you know, I, you know when I first got married, I look back on those first two years of marriage, and I'm like, I'm sure, surely I was not saved. You know, I look, I was so wrong. Just, you know, surely I was not saved. Some of the things that came out of my, you know, one minute I'm like crying out, and the next minute I'm just like, Emily, please forgive me. I'm so, you know, whatever. But, but the reality is, over time, if we continue to cry out to him, he, he, he works on us. Heeding our master in view of the day. Let's go to the next page. The summons of our master. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. And Luke 9 adds daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. And so, folks, the point here is, I'm just going to close with this, is that, you know, one time, there was one time when we first started the Daniel Training Network, we're talking about the day of the Lord and the urgency of the hour, the end times. And uh, a friend of mine, she had a friend, and she said, you know, he was talking to her about it, and he was struggling with what we were talking about, and he was saying, you know, I, I don't understand what all of this end time stuff's about. But we just need to be about the cross. And, you know, and, and the, the reality is he was right. He was getting the point that the point is the cross and the urgency of the hour just brings that right before our eyes unlike never before. We have this window of time where we can ask God, show us what it means for the cross to be put on display in our families, in our relationships, in our workplaces, in the way we relate to enemies, in the way we relate to, to those who persecute us and slander us. We get a history of this by the time where 
by the time, for, by the time where we're put to the test in the area of our finances. And there's going to be a man, and there's going to be many. He's going to say, look, if you want to eat, I'm the man. I'm the provider. If you want to eat, you've got to take a mark. The only problem with that is Revelation says you take that, you're going to suffer eternal torment and fire. <laughs> right? Well, if you've had a history of the cross in the area of your finances to the point where you've seen in that place of vulnerability and weakness, you know, I can't tell you how many times, you know, on my, myself, I've, we need milk. <laughs> Not, you know, it hasn't always been that dramatic, but there have been a few times, Lord, we need milk for tomorrow. And you're tweaking out on the inside. Oh, you know, don't worry about your life. Oh, you know, don't worry about your life. Look at the birds in the air. Oh, you know, just kind of like this. Hoo, 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 hoo. Okay. Send the manna, you know, and, it's just, and, and then it comes. And you end up eating it. I'm not on the street. Oh, you know, it's just, and then finally, you know, over, over a period of years, you realize, wow, my tweak out time is getting longer. I can go two days now without losing my mind and feel like I'm going to break. And, and then a week and then two weeks and even a month where, you're, you know, and you're like, wow, you're getting some practice laps under your belt for that time knowing what's coming. The, the end of the age realities, it's just the Lord shouting, saying, get the cross at center stage. Get the cross at center stage now because the, cro the, great, the great time of testing is coming. And so let's pray. Father of glory, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your spirit would strengthen us in the way of Christ crucified. Master, we want the fragrance of the cross to come forth from our lives. We know that nothing else is going to stand before you. You are the God who gives all, that we might inherit all that you're appearing. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, we're asking you for grace, O oh God, to walk in mercy towards those who despise us, to walk in mercy and love and kindness and graciousness towards our families, to walk with urgency in our hearts and to, just, just to see the fruits of the cross come forth as we consider even the days that are coming. Lord, we need you and we confess and acknowledge before you we cannot do this on our own. Help us and give us grace for the race as we reach for the crown of life and we press on for the prize in Jesus' name.